0: Hey everyone, this is Las Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we're talking about the NBA Draft some more. But in order to do that, so you don't have to hear me babble on, we brought in uh, Raphael Barlow, scout and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. Ben Gulker and I asked Raphael about Killian Hayes, Devin Vassell's new broken jumper, why RJ Hampton is rising up draft boards, and uh, Raphael tells us a great story about Sekou Nuboya. You're going to love this episode. I know I did. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this offseason. With all that said, it's time to go to work. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased to be joined by my co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing?
1: Laz, I'm doing good. Good to be back so soon. Not like a three-month break or whatever. <laughs> right. We had between the last two. Hey, look, I'm excited about today's podcast. Uh, we've got a special guest who I know you're introducing in a second here. And Look, I'm looking forward to learning some stuff this week. I think this is going to be a good one. How are you doing, yeah. Laz?
0: I'm doing great. I'm eager to uh, to introduce our guest. We have from NBA Draft Junkies, who which is his brand new website. We have Raphael Barlow. Uh, he also has a radio show on Dash Radio and a YouTube channel. What's up, Raphael?
2: Nothing much. Nothing much. Thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate this opportunity to uh, talk basketball to your audience.
0: No, we, we appreciate it because, you know, We've been talking basketball to each other for so long. It's nice to have fresh perspectives, outside Detroit perspectives. But uh, we wanted, I wanted to know a little bit about you, though, before you got started. Like, how did you get into draft scouting? How long have you been a scout?
2: Um, Man, it's kind of a loaded question in a sense. I guess you can say I first started, like, unofficially was maybe, I don't know if it was nine seasons ago or ten seasons, but it was the – I started off with the Texas Legends, which is the Dallas Mavs D-League team. And um, I started off as an intern. I wanted to do basketball operations stuff, but if anybody's ever worked in sports, and once you're an intern, that that usually means you're probably not doing anything sports-related, in a sense, so it can be (laughs) just a bunch of grunt work or busy work or whatever. But I really wanted to separate myself, and so they had a bunch of DVDs, You know, players are always trying to send in DVDs, players and agents trying to get discovered. And so um, one day I I took some DVDs home and I watched it. And I've always had an interest in scouting. Like the NBA draft was like my favorite day of the year. Like You know, that Mm -hmm. last Wednesday in June was always something that I wanted to do. And and then I just realized like the traditional way of me working my way up as a scout with the organization probably was unlikely. But um, yeah, I just... You know, started watching the DVDs that players would send in, and then one day there was a guy that I watched, and I thought he could play. I mean, I thought he was really good. The footage was grainy. He was playing at a NAIA school, and um, you know, I had told the the general manager or whatever. You know, I think this this guy is pretty good. Not saying that my opinion made a difference. I think they had already had their eyes on him anyway. But then just seeing him come to work out or try out for the team like a week later made me think, like, okay, I saw the same thing that 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 they did. And then me and the guy, his name is Dominique uh, Johnson. He's actually from Detroit. And uh, we developed a good friendship. Uh, he He's still playing overseas. And then from there, it was always something that I wanted to do. Just didn't know how to, you know, didn't know how to get started. And so um, the, the Mavs are, like, a really, really stable organization where there's not a lot of movement. Like, some of the guys that have been there have been there forever. And so... Like I said, I realized that the traditional way of me just kind of working my way up was unlikely. And so instead of instead of like waiting for a team to give me an opportunity, I just decided to create my own. So I started my website. I wanna say I started in like two thousand seventeen. And so I was living in Istanbul, Turkey at the time, and I had nothing but free time and I couldn't afford to have someone make a website for me the way I wanted to because I think they told me it's going to be like ten to $15,000. So I figured out how to make my own website. And then when I was there, I got a chance to watch a lot of the um, international players. And so uh, since this is a, a Detroit uh, podcast, a Detroit Pistons podcast, the first player that I scouted that I saw and I was impressed with and took notes about was Sekou Dumbuya, and he was like 15 at the time. How about that? Yeah, and I remember like I and I actually um, saw Sekou cool a lot last summer because he worked out in Dallas, and so I had showed him my notes. And it's funny if, if anybody's um, gets a chance to like talk to him or meet him, and, and he'll tell you the story. So I had these notes, and I was like, "This kid is so immature" because it was like an under eighteen tournament. <laughs> like he's, he's so immature, you know, like the layup lines. He was like flat footed. He didn't break a sweat. But then I just saw him move, and I'm like, all right, he just got a rebound and went coast to coast in a couple of dribbles. Like, he's the best player on the floor, and I had never heard of him. And then I went home because the internet was bad. As you can imagine, I was in another country, so my phone service wasn't the best. So anyway, I get home, and I I, I Google him, and I find out, like, oh, he's 15. <laughs> he's playing in the 18 <laughs> and under tournament. And um, it's like, oh, even... that's why he's immature. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, he, like, really, like – I mean, in my notes, I was like, this kid clearly does not understand the magnitude of this tournament. He doesn't understand that there's scouts here. Like, this is somewhat of a job interview in a sense. But he was just laughing and having a good time. But he was so dominant in that tournament. And I mean, there's a few other guys that played in that tournament that have made it to the NBA. Like, his teammate, Frank Nilakina, was a lottery pick that same summer. Um, Isaiah Hartenstein, that played for the Rockets, was in that. Johnny um, Musa. Play for the Nets, was in that tournament. It was It was a few other guys that that played. But he was by far the best player. And I remember thinking, like, whenever he's eligible for the draft, he's going to be a a lottery pick. He's going to be, you know, a, a major prospect. So he kind of um, – I guess he had some injuries his last year. And then, to my surprise, I, I knew his agent. And I had mentioned to a guy, like, uh, his name is Buna Injai. I mentioned to him, I said, man, there's this kid. Because Buna's, like, the top French agent. And me not knowing at the time that he knows everything that's going on in France. I, I mentioned I said, There's this kid. Man, he's he's gonna be a star. And so he says, Oh yeah, that's my client. And I said, Well look, I know it's a ways away, but whenever he does his pro day or or just whatever, can I can I please have some footage? Can I can I please do it? And he honored my request. I was at uh Sekou's pro day last year and I was the only one there to film it. Well, I think ESPN came late, but um yeah, so it just kinda shows that You know, kind of long-winded there. But, yeah, my first tournament that I scouted, saw say cool. And then, you know, years later, I ended up doing this pro day, which is probably, like, one of my most watched videos on YouTube. And it's uh, ironic that, you know, I'm on a Pistons podcast talking about that. So So that's kind of how I – I wouldn't say how I got started, but that's probably, like, one of my best stories about, like, the start of my journey as a scout.
0: No, that's a good story because, like, I remember – the like his trainer was Tyler Ralph, right? Yep. Seku, yeah. Yep. And so I remember they were talking about, uh, the team was talking about after they drafted Seku, they remembered like Casey going down to Dallas to that workout and being like, "There's no way we're gonna get this kid at 15. Right. So I remember that. Like, yeah, it was like we'll just we'll just ignore it, and then he fell to them. How ecstatic they were, and they brought up that workout all the time, uh, post draft but before the season started. So it's yeah, crazy
2: this, you were there. Yeah, I was. So, um, yeah, Buna honored my my request from 2017. I was there. I want to say every NBA team was there. It was probably fifty or sixty scouts, not including like coaches and and you know high level decision makers there. And ESPN came late. I don't know if they had some issues with um, finding a location or whatever. So they were there to film maybe like the last few minutes of it, but I'm the only one that has like the entire workout and it's on my YouTube channel. All
0: right. Pistons fans for sure. Check that out. But, uh, but yeah, but Raphael, the reason I wanted to bring you on is because my co-host hasn't done like a huge deep dive into the, the draft yet. And so we're going to do like a little educational thing for Ben. So Ben, what do you, what do you want to know about this <laughs> year's draft, man?
1: Well, first of all, that was a fantastic story. And I was just, I was, like I was just sitting here intensely listening. That was, that was awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that, Raffy. I really appreciate it. Yeah. No uh, yeah. So, so fill me in, school me a little bit about this year's draft. Um, let's start with this one. Um, this is kind of generally regarded as a bit of a, a weaker draft class. Um, mm-hmm. You think it's easier to trade up or trade down than it would be in normal drafts?
2: That's a tough question. I think like. I don't think it's a weak draft. I think it lacks surefire star power. But I think a lot of that is because, you know, for example, if James Wiseman, who was projected as, as the top overall pick in a lot of draft boards coming into last season, if he would have played a full college season as opposed to the three games that he played, maybe it would be seen differently. Like if Lamelo Ball had chose to play college basketball in the States, and everyone had an opportunity to watch him 20, 30 times or play in the NCAA tournament, then that could be, you know, change the perception of how this draft class is. Same with R.J. Hampton. Um, even a guy like Denny Avdia, who's, who, in my opinion, is a top five pick, he played in in Israel. So I feel like... Because a lot of people didn't get a chance to see a lot of the top prospects on TV, or they didn't have the opportunity to like build their reputation in the NCAA tournament, is considered a weaker draft. Even though some may have considered it that beforehand, so I don't know if like it has a star power up top. But I, I think like like where the Pistons in their range, I think you're going to be able to find a, you know a, a pretty good player. I, I just don't think like there's like the surefire. You know, like Carl Anthony Towns or Zion Williams. I don't think there's that big name in the draft. I mean, I guess Lamelo's the closest, but he really only played like 12 games, 12, maybe 14 games. So how many people really watched him in Australia? Um, So, yeah, as far as trading down or trading up, I think it's possible. I think it's really possible simply because, you know, there are teams that may have a guy that fits their system or what they want to do. And another team like I think Golden State may be interested in trading down.
1: Ooh, interesting.
2: Okay, even Minnesota, I I would have been shocked to see them trade down also. Interesting.
1: Okay, so with that in mind, you know where the Pistons are sitting. We obviously we fell down a little bit. Mm -hmm. The lottery luck continues to be awful for us. Um, (laughs) What do you think about the Pistons um, moving up in this draft class to take one of those bigger names this year?
2: Uh, some, uh, do they have the pieces to move up? That's <laughs> that that, a totally that would... fair question. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, that's a good response. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, if unless they dangle like a Christian Wood, like maybe Golden State says, "Hey, give us Christian Wood and the number seven pick, and then we'll let you pick number two. Interesting. Um, that would. I don't know if I would do that necessarily, unless you feel a hundred percent confident that whoever you're going to take at number two is going to be your franchise guy and the reason that's kind of iffy in a sense because like i said if if it's if you're moving up to take a guy like wiseman he only played three games and they were against like south carolina state chicago state and he played against oregon but it was only a half so unless you feel a hundred percent confident based off of your what your scouts told you from usa basketball or the mcdonald's game or the jordan brand classic or whatever with that pick then i guess that would make sense. you know, same thing with LaMelo Ball. If you want star power and you think that he's going to do what I feel like the Pistons thought Blake Griffin would do as far as, like, sell tickets and just kind of be the face of the franchise, then, yeah, then then I think you make that trade also simply because, um, you know, everyone says that Detroit needs a point guard and, you know, all the rumors of late saying Derrick Rose is on his way to Los Angeles. So, yeah, I mean, I, if I'm Detroit, then... I may or may not make that decision, but it just depends on how confident they are in getting a star at number two.
0: When you so Raf, when you look at Detroit from an outsider perspective, you talked a little bit about how uh, you the a lot of the point guards have been kind of like mocked to them in, in mock drafts. Do you think they should be looking for a point guard? Do you think that um, they they have to select a point guard in this year's draft, or or what do you what do you think they should be looking to do in this year's draft?
2: Well, one, I think swing for the fences. So I've seen some mock drafts have Tyrese Halliburton going to to Detroit. I think Halliburton is a a good point guard, but I don't think he's an engine. engine. Like, I don't think he's your swing for the fences type guy. I think he's a safe pick. If I'm Detroit, I would be looking at Killian Hayes. I think Killian Hayes could be available for them at that spot. Um, Another player that I would look at, and a lot of people may think it's a reach, but R.J. Hampton – you know, there's people that really don't know if he's a point or or two. I think he's more of a combo right now. But he's 6'5", 6'6", really good athlete, long arms. And um, Troy Weaver was the general manager, or I don't know if he was, that was the exact title. But I know he was a key decision maker with the Thunder in 2008 when they drafted Russell Westbrook. And a lot of people didn't think Westbrook was a point guard either. They just thought he was just an athlete. And so... Um, I wouldn't be too surprised, honestly, to see them swing for the fences at an R.J. Hampton and, and try to develop him into a point guard.
0: All right, so you brought up two dudes that we have talked a little bit about and thought a little bit about on this podcast. I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about Killian Hayes first simply because you have him mocked to the Pistons in your latest mock draft. Um, what about Killian makes you think he would be an excellent fit for Detroit?
2: Well, one, uh, I I just like Killian's game. I've been high on him for a while. Um, 6'5", he's a big guard. I mean, he just has a really good feel for the game as a passer. And I'll be totally honest, I like Killian over LaMelo Ball. I don't think he'll go ahead of LaMelo Ball in the draft because, um, you know, I I think an owner may just say, hey, we're going to take LaMelo Ball. He's going to sell tickets you know he he has a bigger buzz especially in in the situation like this year where um teams are probably going to be looking to generate some some buzz or some income if you know with, with no fans coming in like and LaMelo's going to sell jersey but no I, I think Killian is a better prospect in my opinion like like i said great passer uh one of the things that i I'd like him over LaMelo is that he's a better defender he makes a greater effort on defense And while he's not known for being like this great athlete or just having like this freakish athleticism, he was one of the best finishers in this draft class at the rim. He shot about 60% at the rim and he's crafty. He kind of reminds me of D'Angelo Russell. He's not as good of a shooter as Russell at the same stage in their career, but I think that he can be. He shows that he can make tough shots. He has a nice step back Um, and he's played in, in the Euro Cup. You know, a lot of American fans aren't familiar with, you know, how European basketball works, but the Euro league is the top league. And then there's the Euro cup, which in my opinion, is like the second best league in Europe. Also probably the third best league in the world. I think the Euro cup teams could probably beat G league teams. So he's played at a higher level.
1: All right. So you mentioned RJ Hampton. Um, Mm -hmm. you mentioned an interesting connection thinking about, um, Troy Weaver and, and, and Russell Westbrook a little bit. seems like there might be a little bit of interest in Hampton from the front office in Detroit. Um, can you unpack your thoughts about him a little bit more, what you think might make him work in um, in Detroit, especially considering not, considering now that uh, Weaver's at the helm?
2: Yeah, I mean, one, just that connection. Um, Weaver has a, a great reputation for being able to identify talent. Um There are some similarities between Westbrook and Hampton. I also feel like if Hampton would have went to college in the States, his draft stock would be a little higher. He's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Being in the NBL, even though he was playing in New Zealand, it's mostly an Australian league. And then um, Lamelo got all the attention in the league. So, yeah, I think that if he stays stateside and goes to college here, I think you would see his name mentioned a lot as far as being like a top five to seven pick. But I think going to play abroad, I think it helped him and hurt him. I think it hurt his draft stock, but I think it helped him as far as learning how to play with others because he was in a situation where he wasn't just giving the keys to, to the team. He had to learn how to play off the ball. He had to learn how to um, blend in and, and earn his minutes while, you know, usually in college as highly as recruited as he was and the team would have likely you know put him in the best position to succeed and he would have been able to dominate the ball so I think like I said I think it hurt him as far as his draft stock but it helped him overall as a player and then um there's another connection there I guess both players have a connection to Sekou because RJ and Sekou worked out with Tyler Ralph last summer and so they were often in the gym together and then also um you know, even with Killian, Killian and, and Sekou played together, um, and you know they know each other from France. So, I think uh, you know if Sekou is is a guy that the, the Pistons are high on as as far as like being their, you know their their future. Then I, he has a connection with both guys.
0: Do you think uh, R.J. Hampton's like the the improvements in the shot that we've seen since he come he came back from Australia? Do you, does that affect the way you're? you're thinking about him and evaluating him
2: yeah definitely um the the main video well i know mike miller posted a video on social media but i have a video on my youtube channel where i went to the gym and watched him work out with tyler and he shot the cover off the ball like i was i don't want to say i was 100 percent shocked because i had you know a couple times this summer went to the gym and just kind of watched him and and watched his progress i know that he kind of changed his um You know, definitely the base, Uh, you know, he he had like a really narrow stance on the shot. And then he changed as far as like the positioning of his elbow. And I know he's been putting in a lot of work. Um, So, yeah, like on video. Yes, the shot looks a whole lot better. The problem with it is that it's video. There's no competition. You know, it's and I haven't seen it in in the game. I haven't seen it in pickup basketball. And the day I was filming, he just shot a lot of set shots. It wasn't anything off the move. It wasn't any pull up dribbles, and that was just what they had planned on working on that day. Um, I do plan on going back to uh, you know just to see him do some different shooting drills. But yeah, I definitely think that he's a much better shooter than he was at this stage last year because I saw him work out. Actually, I have a video. I, I just thought about. It. I have a video with him and Sekou working out together, and RJ's shot looks a lot different, and he's definitely a much better shooter than he was at this time last year.
0: Okay. That makes me makes me more interested in him. I'm still not sure if uh if like he'd be the right choice at seven, but I like we do know that the team has like has had interest in him um for mm-hmm. a while. And so I'm not surprised to hear you bring up his name. I was a little bit surprised to hear you uh bring up Tyrese Halliburton in uh such a in a way that like you thought the Pistons shouldn't draft him. Right. Um, he's kind of the other point guard prospect that, like, the Pistons generally get mocked. And you talked about him not being an engine. Uh, what makes him not an engine? Is it like I know he had a low usage at Iowa State? Is it is it the handle? Is it that um, he shoots he shoots really well uh, off ball, but not as well on ball? Like, what what makes Tyrese Halliburton not not uh, an offensive engine?
2: Well, to me, the pick and roll is like the most important play in basketball right now and Halliburton is not a pick and roll point guard because he's not a threat to get downhill he's a very good spot up shooter he's very good at like moving the ball very high level passer I mean he his court vision is I mean this is a draft where there's three guys that I think that are really high level passers but in most drafts I think that Halliburton would be the best passer as far as his court vision and feel for the game but to me like if if I were a general manager or even a coach, I would want my point guard to be able to play and pick and roll. I'd want a guy that's a threat to get downhill because once you get downhill, then you can make you know, you can make the defense collapse and you can make um, you know, different reads. Well for him he kinda reminds me of Lonzo Ball in a sense, to where, you know, Lonzo doesn't get downhill. He doesn't you know, he doesn't attack the rim. A lot of it's because he's a poor free throw shooter which is not Halliburton's case. But I think that, you know, he just doesn't have the the frame. Maybe he just doesn't want to get downhill because he's so skinny and, you know, doesn't want to take the pounding. But I've never really seen him go north and south on his dribbles. And then he has a funny-looking shot, which it goes in. Don't don't get me wrong, he goes in. But it's like, um, yeah, it's just a funny-looking set shot. So I don't know how well he'll be able to shoot off the dribble. So even if he does run pick and rolls, I think teams would just go under because he has, like, a longer release. And, I, yeah, I just don't know how good he'll be in pick and rolls as far as, like, pull-up jumpers, getting to the basket. And then, like, for me, like I said, I like my point guards to get downhill. He has a really low free throw rate. If I'm not mistaken, he's only taken, like, 75 free throw attempts in two seasons of college basketball. That is
0: not a lot of free throw attempts.
2: (laughs) Yeah, not at all. I mean, he's now nah, you can't you can't front on the three-point shooting. He shot over 40% and he had you know a, a fairly large number of attempts. The sample size is there. I just don't see anything in between. But I think he's a great complementary player for a uh, like a ball dominant player. So on one hand, I think that like if Blake Griffin plays to the level that he played with Played in was it two years ago that he was All NBA. Then I think he's a really good complementary piece because Blake is the main ball handler and then he'll knock down open shots. But as far as long term, if you know Blake is not there, and then who is the Pistons like primary ball handler or you know the guy that's going to do all the shot creating? And so I think Halliburton is best if he's playing off somebody as opposed to being the engine that runs the team.
0: All right. I mean, like that makes a lot of sense. The next guy I wanted to ask you about was uh, Patrick Williams. Mm-hmm. Patrick Williams is the uh, is a wing out of Florida State. Came off the bench for uh, most of their, his time at Florida State, but he's a big dude, good rebounder, um, like a little bit very effective in pick and roll, but not like that wasn't what Florida State spent a lot, a lot of time having him do, but that holds a lot of appeal for him at the at the next level. Um, but the Pistons already have kind of a big wing guy that they want to operate in pick and rolls, and Seku uh, already on the roster. And so, I wanted to ask, what you thought about the the fit uh, with Seku uh, with and Patrick Williams?
2: That's an interesting fit. I've never thought of that. I think Seku is more of a four long term than a three, and so and I also feel the same thing about Patrick Williams. I think mm. both players will probably start games at the three, but I think in closing lineups, they're fours. Um, I mean, yeah, I think they could possibly play together. I think Patrick Williams' upside as a defender is pretty high, and both are really young. I think Sekou is, if not if I'm not mistaken, the youngest player in last year's draft, and Patrick Williams is the second youngest player in this year's draft. So I think defensively, and as far as versatility, that would be a you know a pretty good combination. I think both are still somewhat raw in a sense. And so you'd have to really have a lot of faith in the Pistons' developmental staff to develop them into the type of players that you're looking for. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting fit. I mean, I guess in my opinion, I feel like the point guard and possibly the center positions are, are the biggest needs for the Pistons right now. And adding another four, I think, would be kind of redundant in a sense.
0: That makes sense, yeah. I just, you know, you see teams that play multiple wings at the same time, and uh, a lot of people like just think that's the that's the way of the future, that's the way to go. But uh, I do wonder if like if if both of those guys are fours, if like neither one of them ever gets their ball handling and playmaking to a spot where you feel comfortable with them playing three, then it, it does get kind of awkward.
2: Yeah, and I think with teams playing like. The wings like that, it's usually because they have a really good point guard. Unless your model is the Clippers where they kinda of ran their offense through to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and And now they they're necessarily...
0: looking for a point guard.
2: Exactly. So, you know, I, I I thought Derek Rose was gonna end up there, but it seems like he according to the rumors, he's gonna end up in the other the other LA team.
0: All right. Uh so Rafael, the next guy. I wanted to talk a little bit about was OB Toppin, not -hmm. necessarily because I'm super interested in OB Toppin, but I feel like the audience will question like, why aren't I looking at this like super productive Naismith player of the year for a team that like, doesn't have talent on the roster like the Pistons. But, you know, I just, I question how he's going to defend at the NBA level. I question what position he's going to play in the NBA because he's, um, because it's going to be hard for him to, uh, like be a small ball center if he can't defend, so you know what. But he was really productive, right? And he has a really good shot, and he does a lot of great things. So I guess like how do how do you envision Obi Toppin fitting in uh, on an NBA team at the next level?
2: If he goes into the right situation, which is kind of cliche to say, but I think that he could win Rookie of the Year. He's, in my opinion, the most NBA ready prospect right now. I mean, a lot of it is due to his age and maturity and experience. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think that he's ready to contribute right away. There's no questions about his offensive game. The biggest question marks are about can he defend and will he defend? And so, you know, like I wonder, like, if you – especially if you, if you watch the playoffs this year, right, and even though the, the scoring was high, if you were like – a bad defender, teams picked on you and ran you off the court. And so, with Obi Toppin, I wonder if you know he is a guy that ends up being or, or going to a team and they make it to the playoffs. Will he be able to stay on the court? So you look at Michael Porter Jr. He was starting and he was one of Denver's better offensive players, arguably their third best offensive player on the team but they couldn't play him 30 minutes a game because he was so bad at defense due to him being inexperienced. And I think with Toppin, he just doesn't move well laterally. Like I've never seen a player so athletic and non-athletic at the same time. Like he can jump to the moon, but he doesn't really move well laterally. And so I think that a team is going to have a tough choice to make on him because I think he can come in and contribute right away and make your team better. On the offensive end, but you have to wonder, like, if your team ends up being like a playoff team, can you depend on him as as your best player or even one of your top two or three players? Because he's going to be such a liability on the defensive end.
0: Okay, hmm. now I mean that. That's I agree with you wholeheartedly. Especially like the the Michael Ju- Michael Porter Junior comparison is not one like I would have made. But it's like definitely true that like it, whoever you're playing in the playoffs, they'll just pick out your weakest defender. I was thinking more like uh in his cantor in like playoffs of old, right? Like where you just put that guy in a pick and roll constantly and make him make decisions and then it, it works out well for you uh, as an offense. Um but yeah, no, that's a that's a good point.
2: Yeah, I mean look uh, at Cantor. I mean he if Cantor played in The 90s, he'd be a borderline all-star center. Like, there's not many guys that can stop him from scoring on the block or rebounding. But you can't play him a lot of minutes because teams are just going to put him in space and make him defend. And so, um, and that's why he's kind of bounced around from team to team. I don't even know if he'll be back with Boston next year. I'm a Blazers fan. I thought he played well in Portland at the end of last season or the season, you know, it's kind of weird saying last season, the season before last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of mixed up because, uh, but anyway, but yeah, it's at, and even Oklahoma city, like everybody remembers the clip of Billy Donovan saying we can't play him because teams just picked on him and same with like Michael Porter Jr. I think there was at one point in the jazz series that whoever he was defending was shooting like 60% from the floor. And then they end up putting Millsaps back in a starting five. And I could totally see a similar situation happening with Obi Toppin. All
0: right. So another guy I wanted, I wanted to go back to the point guards, uh, Kira Lewis out of Alabama, Mm -hmm. um, a small guy, it's like slight frame. I don't know like how much like stronger he's going to be able to get, but a guy who's really young, um, you know, three level scorer was able to distribute like pretty well in the pick and roll. Um, a guy a lot of people are interested in if you don't like uh, any of the other point guard prospects. like We have some people on the, on our website, on our board, who are like pretty interested in Kyra Lewis. And so uh, what do you think about uh, Kyra Lewis's fit in Detroit?
2: I really like him. I really like him a lot. I think he has what you can't teach in that speed. And he can put a lot of pressure on defenses because he can get into the paint with his first step. He's not like the greatest passer, but I think he's a, a good enough passer to where he can make everyone around him better. Um, I think especially like a guy like Luke Kennard would really benefit from Lewis being able to get into the teeth of the, the defense and create open shot opportunities for, you know, like Kennard's a, a really good shooter. Um, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mad if he's available at seven and Detroit him. I mean, he's, I don't um, – yeah, I mean, I, I think that obviously there there should be all of the top point guards available. And if they like Lewis over Halliburton or Hampton or Hayes, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be mad at it either because I think the thing that he has over those guys is that, that foot speed and that first step. And especially if you can give him some floor spacing, then he'll be able to – like I said, collapse defenses and create open looks for other players.
0: Do you think he'll be a, a better finisher at the rim with, like, better spacing? Well, Alabama had pretty good spacing, but uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, for him, like, finishing at the rim wasn't, like, one of my biggest concerns for him um, just because, I mean, I think there's a, a few players, other players that, that I had bigger concerns as far as, like, point guards. And finishing at the rim, I definitely think he, he needs to get stronger. He is pretty light, eh, light in the tail, as, as my grandmother would say. Um, especially for a guy that relies so much on his speed, he'll, he'll definitely need to to bulk up and be able to take contact. But luckily for him, today's NBA is not as physical as, you know, the Pistons bad boy era. You know, if it was 89-90, then I, I'd really be concerned <laughs> because he's not finishing against James Edwards and Bill Ambeer. But with, with you know floor spacing and you know I'm looking at him as a fit for like Detroit today. Um you know, I think him and Blake in a pick and roll would be pretty pretty tough to defend. And then, you know, I imagine Blake is gonna come back a much better outside shooter because he's had plenty of time to to work on his range. I, I think Lewis would be a good fit for Detroit.
1: All right, let's talk about um Devin Vassell. That mm-hmm. interesting video that we saw just only twenty or thirty seconds long, that jumper. I was going
2: to ask you, is it pre-video Devin Marcel <laughs> or post-video? Devin well, that's Devin that's sale. what we want to ask you. I mean, I saw that
1: video and that that shot. I mean, I don't know what's happening there, but either talk about us from both perspectives i guess uh he's a guy <laughs> you've got in your top 10 at least on your yeah. website right now but yeah. that that video came out this week what are you thinking about him right now
2: <laughs> i i really hope that was like him having fun with somebody at the end of a workout and um that's not the shot that he's been working on this off season uh but i i'll go with pre Tory Lane's jumper, Devin Vassell. Because <laughs> um, I don't know if you had a chance to see that video of Tory Lane playing basketball with his friends in the driveway, and his jumper looked just like that—like it was way behind his head, kicked his feet out. But yeah, before that, I, I thought Devin Vassell was a not only a safe pick, but I felt like he had one of the highest upsides in this class because he you know he's a good shooter from three, and um, you know he has the positional size, the length, and and he defends. You know, I think defense is one of those things that it's either in you or it's not, and he just is a playmaker on the defensive end. I think that, and a lot of people may be shocked when I say this, but I think his best, best case scenario, if he can work on his ball handling, same thing with with Lewis getting stronger and just kind of being more effective at attacking the rim. I think that his upside and his ceiling is like a Paul George type player. But yeah, I, I mean, think his, his baseline is like a Trevor Ariza.
1: I mean, his stroke was pretty pre whatever that video was. <laughs> right. I mean that that video that that shot does not have a chance in the NBA. I mean, as long as it takes for him to get set up, the 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 jump forward, I don't know all of it just looked awful to me.
2: Yeah, I I didn't see it like when it first came out. And you know, I would see his name on Twitter and you know I didn't I didn't know. I just thought maybe it was draft Twitter talking about it. And then maybe like five hours later, I still saw his name kind of trending, and so I decided to type in his name and and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. <laughs> like it what made it more concerning was it wasn't just one shot. It was like maybe four or five. <laughs> and so it just made me wonder like okay is he did he really change his form after shooting over 40 percent from three like it just doesn't make sense to me
0: yeah what do you think would like make a guy change the way he's shooting during like an extended pre-draft process
2: i have no idea <laughs> i wish i knew <laughs> um at least with markel Foltz, there was rumors that there was some type of injury or something like that
0: mm-hmm.
2: like yeah i just don't understand like why he would or why anyone would let him change his form. Like, I mean, I have some experience as a trainer I've worked with, um, you know, some NBA players, and I would never have them change their form, especially if they're a 40% shooter from three. And so, you know, even if the player wanted to, I I wouldn't suggest it. Like I said, he was a good shooter. It wasn't like like for example, with RJ, his elbow was out and He was such a a dominant high school player that he really didn't have to shoot a lot of jumpers. I'm talking about RJ Hampton. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So for him, I understand why he was changing his form because he needed to have a wider base and he needed to improve as a shooter. For Vassell, his shooting is one of his greatest assets, one of the reasons why he's a projected lottery pick. So there's no need to change it.
0: No, yeah. I was... I saw, like, when I was searching it on Twitter, because I, too, was, like, what, like, saw it on Twitter a bunch and was, like, what is going on? There was some theorizing that, like, he's trying to get more power to shoot from deeper Mm -hmm. for some reason. And, like, I kind of get that because he was a 40% shooter both years at Florida State, but he wasn't taking, you know, like Dame Lillard threes or anything. He was taking a lot of, uh, you know, what the defense gave him. But, like... If you're really worried about that, like, we can stick you in the corner, man. Like, we can we, – you don't have to, like, make a change that drastic. Uh,
1: yeah, and power doesn't come from swinging your arms from behind your head. It comes from your base. Like, that – it's kind of shooting 101.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like um, – you know, like, the when people work out and they throw, like, the, the, the medicine ball off the wall to work on their core? And that's what – his shot looked like
1: (laughs) it's not that's pretty good
2: description (laughs) yeah i hope it was a joke like i don't know if it's somebody made up but they said that him and whoever he was working with were just kind of messing around and that's the only part of the video that got out not the normal shot i really hope that part is true he's gonna have a lot of questions to answer when he does his interviews and and now if you're like an nba team and you can't like bring him in for a workout I mean, what do you do? You tell him, "All right, get on a Zoom call." And hey, we need you. We need to see you shoot.
0: <laughs> Hundred jumpers.
2: <laughs> yeah, Because <there. laughs> yeah. what if you draft him? Like you know, what if like you're Detroit? What if you draft him at number seven, and then you bring him in for camp, and you realize like he changed his jumper. Like that is how he's planning on shooting. Now you're you're kind of screwed in a sense, unless. He's knocking that jumper down or unless you can get him to change it back. So I, whoever put that video out made his draft process a
0: lot tougher, in my opinion. No, that's that's definitely true. All right, Rafael. Uh, I wanted to ask you if there's anybody that you're surprised I didn't ask you about. Anybody that you think would be a good fit in Detroit that we didn't talk about yet?
2: Yeah, I mean, I... You know, I think Wiseman or or Kongu could possibly be available, and I think that um, you know, unless they plan on playing Christian Wood at, at center, I'm not sure what the what the long term plans are. But I think I think they would help. Um, I have seen some people say that uh, O is like another Andre Drummond, and if he is Andre Drummond 2.0, he'll be a lot cheaper than what you're paying for True. what you were paying for Drummond. Uh, But, yeah, I think that those two players, you definitely have to consider drafting them if they fall. I I like Denny Avdia. I think that he is a – I think he's just like a weapon. I think that he can kind of complement whoever you have on the roster. He can be your secondary ball handler. Um, I do think that he'll eventually end up being a better shooter than the numbers indicate. and I think he's an underrated defender. He's a little, well, I shouldn't say a little, he's a lot more experienced than everyone else in this class. I mean, he's probably played over 50 high-level EuroLeague games, which is, you know, most of this class is one and done and they didn't play 30 games this year. So, I think he's more experienced. And um, but yeah, I think that he's a guy that could come in and and just kind of fill up the stat sheet. Now, the Luka comparisons are unfair. But I I can see how, um, you know, someone could make somewhat of a comparison. I don't think he'll average 30 points a game in his second year. But if he's half the player Doncic is, then that would be a good fit because I think he's going to be a good rebounder in the NBA. And then uh, also, like I said, a playmaker. I I don't think that he really got a chance to show his full skill set most of the year at Maccabi. But they, they allowed him some freedom after the season was shut down when they returned for their playoffs in their Israeli bubble. He really showed, um, you know, like all the skills that he has in his toolbox.
0: Yeah. I have been assuming that Denny is going to be gone by seven. Mm-hmm. And so, I you know, that's part of the reason why I didn't ask about him. The other reason I didn't ask about him is kind of the same thing we were talking about a little bit earlier with Patrick Williams, right? Like, I think he's a four, and if he and Seku are both fours, that makes it, uh, like, kind of difficult for Detroit. But do you, do you think that pairing could work of uh, Denny and Seku, the all-international uh, wing combo?
2: I, you know, I think it could work because uh, I think Seku could defend fours and Denny could defend fives. I think they could be interchangeable, but I don't think they would be playing in the same spots. I think Denny would – In my opinion, I think he should be used as a secondary ball handler. But I know Sekou wants to be more so of a ball handler. I know last year when I talked to him, the player that he really looked up to was Siakam. He kind of wanted to pattern himself after Siakam a little bit. Hmm. So he he would definitely kind of want the ball in his hands. Um, Yeah, I I think they could fit together a little bit more than... Sekou and Patrick Williams just because I think Denny would have the ball in his hands a lot more if used correctly now if you turn him into like a a spot up shooter then you're not really getting the most out of his talent
0: All right, Raphael thank you so much for coming on Uh, let the people know where they can find you where they can find uh, your work your radio show your YouTube channel that you've referenced a couple times like I know I'm definitely going to go check out that RJ Hampton video after we're done recording here uh, yeah, let the people know where they can uh, find you.
2: Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me on as a guest. It's always a pleasure to talk basketball. And um, so, yeah, I'm just thankful for this opportunity. If you ever want to have me on after the draft, or right before the draft, just let me know. I'd, I'd be glad to come on. As far as, like, my my channel, it's uh you just type in NBA Draft Junkies. And it's on YouTube. Um, same thing, NBADraftJunkies.com. And then I have a new radio show. I've I've been told I can't say podcast because it's a radio show, but it comes on dash radio and it is every Monday at 10 p.m. I'm sorry, 10 a.m. Central. So that's 11 Eastern. And um, but yeah, it's it's uh, every Monday and it's the downside of it is it's kind of it's a radio show so you can't just go back and listen to it if you miss it. But the people at dash were so cool. They gave me the opportunity to be able to take that same show and i can put on my youtube channel so it's available if you know you can't listen to it live when it's on the radio so yeah dash radio it's on the nothing but net channel under dash radio and then uh, like i said youtube nba draft junkies podcast um, nba draft junkies podcast which is on spotify and uh, apple and then I guess Podbean or wherever you can find all your your podcasts at. And then my Twitter handle is Barlow B A
0: R L O W E five zero zero. What does uh, what's the five hundred stand for? Uh
2: oh, so <laughs> so uh, it's kind of like a play off of when I was in high school. My favorite team was the Blazers, and so my email account was Blazers five hundred because S five hundred Mercedes was my favorite car. And then once I got on Twitter, I just kind of changed it to my last name because I didn't want to be put in the box. I was just a, a Blazers fan. And so, and I just kept the five hundred because I mean I still like s five hundred, even though they're now like S five fifties. But uh but yeah, that was like my favorite car back when I was
0: in 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 high school. That's a, that's a solid reason. That's a that's a good reason. I'm more of a Jaguar guy myself, but like I respect it highly. Okay. Yeah. All right, Ben, uh, let the people know where they can find you. Are uh, you working on anything this week?
1: Well, I'm going to be searching the back catalog of uh, YouTube videos that we have from our esteemed colleague and guest today because I, I did peep on it while we were talking on the, the podcast today, and it is loaded with content. So I'm going to be catching up on that. That's where I'm mm-hmm. going to be. Um, Raphael, thanks so much for joining, man. This was, this was so enjoyable for me. I know our listeners are going to love it. Um I could seriously sit and talk to you for hours. I know I could. I'd just love listening to you and tapping into your to your knowledge and experience. But at BR on Twitter. Um how long away is basketball? When should we start working on stuff post draft <laughs> last? I don't this yeah. this time warp is still so real for me right now. It's Season's so gonna confusing. start in like
0: March or something, or February or January or April. I don't know, man. Sometime in the future
2: free agency during Thanksgiving break. Oh the, my goodness. It's just going to be weird. It's, it's so, uh, there's nothing like it. Like there's, and then it's, it's weird because even like for me, when I'm scouting the international prospects that were, that are in the 2020 NBA draft, quite a few of them are playing their 2021 season already. Yeah. And oh, that's wild. I, I know one guy told me his team will let him out of his contract. If he gets drafted to come over and play. But I don't know how that situation is going to work out for a few other guys. Like, I know Avdia is here in Atlanta working out, and so is Tale Maladon. Um, another guy named Paulie Bois the second pick. He's here, but I think all the other international prospects are in Europe, and they're currently playing in their season. So it's, like, so weird for them because, you know, they're, like, trying to prepare for the NBA draft but not knowing if they can – get out of their contracts. It's just this whole coronavirus situation has just thrown everybody's timeline off.
0: Yeah. I'm The thing I remember was like, there's not going to be Christmas basketball for oh. like... The first time in like forever, and it's like, what? Right. How am I supposed to like stay with my family on Christmas? And <laughs> have to talk to yeah. my family members or something? Right, like, this is impossible. We all just like sit down and like laugh at how the Knicks are on Christmas. Like,
2: <laughs> gotta pull out the Monopoly boards, Monopoly Uno. Sorry, <laughs> gotta gotta play those games. Yeah, it's it's definitely gonna be weird. Um Yeah, like I said, I don't even know when free agency starts. Like, I think the draft is on the eighteenth. So Mm -hmm. usually free agency starts like what a week later. And so that puts you like smack dab in the middle of Thanksgiving. So they're probably going to push it back to like the first week of December, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really weird. That's going to be crazy. Anyway, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, This has been the Detroit bad boys podcast. And yeah, we'll talk to you all later. I don't know when that's going to be. Maybe it'll be before Thanksgiving free agency. Who knows? See you guys.